you got to keep the big picture that, hey, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse to their industry. Pulse Welcome to, their to industry. Electric People. We have Dave Madsen on the show. Check out Tim Ballard. Jeff Curl. Sheckler. Kenzie Watts. The League presents Electric People. Three, two, one. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a special episode of Electric People. We have the very colorful Mr. Shane Smith on the Hello. podcast. Did you look into the camera? I did. I looked right into it. But it I was wasn't like, a very Whoa. direct look. Was, <laughs> I, I gave him a glance. Yeah, I told Shane to like look into the camera if he wants to make an impact. And I, I wanted like, to give him a little taste of the gym from the office. Just a little. Yeah, just, just a, a little. little <laughs> just a little side <laughs> glance. Um, so Shane and I met, we go way back. We met about 15 minutes ago. Yep, yep. Um, and kind of crazy circumstances that you find yourself in. But I am excited to sit down with you. Yeah. Because um, as we were talking about, the show is called Electric People. And mm-hmm. our audience is primarily uh, entrepreneurial salespeople. People that kind of take their own destiny into their own hands and go out and try to make something. Which I don't know how often people assimilate what you do to door-to-door sales. But it's sort of close. It is So, Yeah. I mean, I think people would be surprised. You can get there, right? Like, well, um, yeah. And there's a lot of selling yourself, especially in the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, it, a lot of selling yourself. Like, the very first show I ever did. You, like, when you first start doing shows, you have to, like, convince people they want you. Maybe I should tell people that you're a stand-up comedian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll start there. Do you think that would be better, yeah, right? Yeah, would be better. I'll tell them. So, we'll, we'll <laughs> so tell let's them. let them know so. what I do. What, what do you think they thought I did at first? They're like, so he does crime? <laughs> yeah. I think, I think he forced his way onto the set because he wants to be on the show. Um, yeah, so the first, uh, I'll tell you kind of how I became familiar with your work and then why yeah, we're sitting yeah, in the studio. Please. So as a, as a salesperson, I'm actually pretty sensitive to content. Like, I always want to sit down and kind of wind down at night and watch something with my wife. Yeah. But because I'm in a constant people-facing job, I actually can't take stuff that's super heavy all the time. And so I was flipping through the VidAngel app, mm-hmm. and I saw a dry bar comedy special, and a more clean-cut version of you was yeah. on there, right? And it said Shane Smith, and I don't remember the, it's like you're, that's the prison for wizards. Yeah, that was my first special. Yeah, and so I I clicked on it and I was like, I'll see what this guy's all about. You know, you had the look. You you attract people with the look because it's definitely different. We spent a lot of time in your comedy talking about the look, but we'll just address it. And um, I was watching it and I was like, I was I was actually really impressed at I'll call it the mastery. You did a like your comedy is really good. Like it's it's funny, but it's also it moves well. There's good salesmanship. There's good storytelling, and I, I can see why you've started to take off. Um, and then we were doing a leadership event down here. We get our leaders together all the time, mm-hmm. and we've had certain comedians before, but it's hard to find someone. And we said, hey, like it was just top of mind to me. I was like, we should get. Shane Smith. I thought you were living in Utah at the time. It'd be a oh, quick okay. hop over. Yeah, yeah. But um, we're able to get in contact, and it's been pretty simple. Now we since had to cancel it due to COVID, but you're still in San Diego, so I we am. figured I am. So I'm here. Let's still hang out and do the show. But yeah, um, yeah. So I want to kind of get into um, how you got started in in your craft, but I also want to get into your story because your life story is interesting to me. Yeah. Where do you want me to? You want me to start from the beginning? And we'll hey, just, just get... take that and go with whatever okay. you need to go with. So I'm going to shorten a lot of it because it ha- you know, there, we have no choice. But So when I was very, I had a very bad childhood growing up and I grew up in a very, very small town. And then um, I... Uh, when you say very bad childhood, this is part of the, this is part of the story that confuses me because frankly, the first time I saw your comedy special yeah. and I saw your look, mm-hmm. 
and I'm just going to hit you with it. We don't know each please, other at all. Please. But I'm looking and you, you talk in your comedy special about a pretty alternative, like a pretty heavy lifestyle. But I kind of thought it was a joke, like after watching your thing. But then I followed up and listened to podcasts and I think I've come to the conclusion that that's how your life actually was and it's not a show. Yes. So um, what happens with that is this is a weird phenomenon I've run into personally. And I have another friend, uh, Joey Diaz, who's another comic, and he also had a similar life, and he's run into the same thing. So what's happening there, so many people have not taken it seriously or not really understood the gravity of it that it's like a, a, like a phenomenon. I, I don't know because I'm so open about it. And You're then, like, I don't know if it's real. Yeah, so <laughs> I think that because I'm so open and cavalier about it that maybe that's awkward. for Or people kind of are just like, what? That's too crazy. But um, yeah, there's just something about, I think, the way we perceive criminals and crime in like the outliers of society that makes it hard for us to um, realize we like we see them as caricatures. And then when you see someone and they're a whole person and like they're fine. And then you're like, oh, well you didn't do crime. I would liken it to, have you ever met like a Navy SEAL? Yeah. A very high performance military person? Yeah, we've had some on this show. Yeah. yeah, and before you know that they're a Navy SEAL or whatever, aren't they usually just like goofy fun like dads or or like sports guys? Sure. Or just like they they probably remind you of other salesmen because they're just like type A personality dudes who are just like, they're almost always sweethearts. But if you knew the reality of the experiences they've had and the things they've gone through, when you like watch a war movie or whatever, you have a totally different Rambo-like view of mm -hmm. them. But the reality is that they're like a whole person. Well, it's the same thing for like crime. There are all these people who do these crazy things and then they're whole people. They play World of Warcraft. They take their kids to sports games. They're active and good members of their community. The juxtaposition between what they do and who they are isn't necessarily married. And so that's like what it is. And I now at this point in my life, I have like, I would, I have no desire to be anything like that person. But like that person existed alongside who I am today. Yeah, you know? and I think that's the thing that's crazy for me. Two things that are crazy. One, your your vocabulary is. I don't know if you do it on purpose. I would assume <laughs> that you do, but yeah, yeah, funny. Yeah, good job. Yeah. Uh, but number two is I'm interested in the transition because since I didn't know you for that point, and I've seen your comedy specials and I've heard your interviews. Yeah. I can't draw the line, but I am really interested in your story because the story in. Um, deciding to kind of change your life and get into a more positive avenue. Yeah. There are real principles of success that are in there. So if you wouldn't mind no, absolutely. Sharing, sharing kind of how that transition happened. Yeah, so the transition sort of, basically I was to a point where um, I was sort of like realizing that there was no out and that I wasn't like upwardly mobile. And I was like, well, this is dangerous. This is stupid. You know, I don't want to be a bad person. And like, and I was it's just crazy though. Your ambitions are like, I want to move up, but <laughs> I fail to see the path. Yeah, because I have these barriers. Right? Totally. Well, there's a certain point where you're like, Am I just gonna keep doing this forever? But don't you think that's rare? Because don't you think a lot of people that like, if you looked left and right at the time, yes, didn't have those kind of like introspective, like, what am I doing? They're acting type on thoughts. a lot of people are acting on survival instinct. 
especially in these situations, because when you grow up below poverty, that's a whole different world that is impossibly difficult for anyone who hasn't experienced it to really understand how crushing it is. And that was you. You grew That up. was me. Like, for instance, there was a situation when I was like 18 and um, I was recently out of, I, I just, uh, I had joined the military when I was 17 and I got hurt in training and I came home at 18 and I was like, what do I do with these skills? <laughs> and we, <laughs> these skills we figured that out. We figured that out. But um, so I, I had lost my ID and um, I had no birth certificate because my family was just all over the place and I had no credit and um, I needed a job, but I couldn't get a job with an ID without an ID and I needed to cash this check, I remember, and I went to the bank and I couldn't cash it without an ID, but I couldn't get an ID without money and I couldn't get a job to make more money without cashing my check to get my ID and I was just trapped in Dude, this. that's a real, that's, sorry to cut you off, I'm gonna do that No, a no, lot, please, please. That's a real thing that people, I don't understand that. Yeah. Because those problems aren't, I was gonna say they're not available to me. Like it's like, yeah. I would have my mom do it, or I would have my dad do it, or I would explain it totally. and figure it out, but I can't imagine. I had this time, I, I, the other day I was going to get some food and I left my wallet at my office and I was all the way in Costa Mesa at the pickup sticks. Yeah. Not exactly the same situation <laughs> as you, but I was at the pickup sticks with no, with no wallet. And for a second I was like, what do you do if you just don't, and I just was thinking like, yeah, what do you yeah. do if you don't have any money? But I have an iPhone and I got Apple Pay. Solve the problem, no big deal. Totally. But, but it is a really interesting thing to think about. Those, there are a lot of people amongst us in that situation. Absolutely. And the same, they don't see the same outlets or avenues. For so sure. that was you. That was me. And, um, you, and, and it's crushing. And there's no help. There truly isn't any help. Like, I mean, you, the, people are like, we'll get welfare. But like, if you're an 18-year-old kid who has no ID, like, what are you gonna, and I didn't live in a city. So I was like, well, I can't go to the homeless shelter. Like, there's just no help for you. Interesting. So below poverty, it's so crushing. And then that's why you have weird things, like when you watch TV and they depict poor people, they usually do it correctly because you'll see poor people living in squalor, but then they'll have an Xbox or something weird, or like maybe a kind of nice car, and you'll be like, what is, you're so poor. Why are you using your money on that? It's because, Life is so crushing and everything hurts and is terrible and so miserable that you kind of start to prioritize your money in a way that you're like, I just need to survive day to day mentally and an Xbox is going to help me do that. Instead of saving to get out of this, I literally can't even focus on getting out of this situation because I need to focus on surviving this situation. No one's ever explained that to me like that before. Yeah, so when you're like, if you're on food stamps, why do you pay for Netflix? It's like, oh, because I'm dying. I'm literally- Inside, like your so, light's going Yeah, you, like I have nothing. I come home and if I don't have something to come home to, if I don't have joy, then like why even save, you know? And so people are just being crushed and that's how you end up in crime, right? It's a really complex problem. It's it, a really complex it's problem. It's a very complex problem, which is why it has to be solved from the bottom up and not the top down. But 
Interesting. It's um. So anyway, you get into that situation. Hey, we went pretty deep, pretty fast. Yeah, yeah. So how you how I ended up wanting to get out is that I earned my way up to the highest point I could get. Well, wealth gave me perspective. Now I have enough money that I don't worry about eating, and I'm like, oh, I, I begin to see myself in the people I'm hurting, right? Like when I rob someone or say, if I rob like a, let's say I go to a pawn shop that sells jewelry and I rob that guy and I'm like, I'm wondering if he's insured. That would never occur to me before. Hmm. But now that I have money and I have things I need to insure or I'm at a point where I think about that, now I think about him in that context. It's not me versus him anymore. It's crazy that, that that's your that's empathy that you're describing, right? Yeah. Like you I, found that exactly. But you almost when you're below the poverty line, you feel like you're that's not available to you. Literally not, you know. And so, and how could it be? How the concept of him insuring his investments right. would never occur to someone who is deciding between uh, ramen or cup noodles. You know, yeah. like, and so as I became more wealthy, I was like starting to see myself and understand how I fit in the world to become more self-aware. And, and I sort of was just like, I can get out. I could, I could escape and then I could float myself to the point where I think I could make it. And then I could be normal and I wouldn't have to like be in these situations. And then my brother was also but doing that's, crime. That's confidence. Like, where does that, you know what I mean? Like, cause a lot of people yes. don't. They they get to my point and then they say, well, I can't be normal, so I'm trapped. Yeah. Exactly. I Yeah, I don't know. That is a confidence. And I think a part of it was that me and my brother were kind of together and we're like, we could do this as a team because we left together. But uh, there is a certain amount of just like, I can do anything that I do have in me. You know, that's sort of like... Uh, I'm the guy who like if I'm do if someone's like go to failure when you're working out like when I see other people go to failure I'm like you're not really doing it yeah I'm doing it you're not like, have you heard Will Smith's thing on that the die on the treadmill thing no you would love it yeah he says he says the only difference I've talked about it on the show before but he says the only difference between me and anybody else is I'm not afraid to die on the treadmill and I don't know why this scenario but he says he says you may have it on me in looks and smarts and whatever but if we get on the treadmill together. Yeah. Two things are happening. You're getting off first or I'm going to die. It's that yeah. simple. So it's like that I absolutely thing, right? relate to that. Yeah. That's definitely it. And that was kind of our thing. We were just like, let's just bet on ourselves. Let's do it. I mean, and honestly, you guys are like is... the most cerebral, confident criminals leaving, <laughs> leaving poverty ever. Well, I'm also very lucky that um, I think I have a certain amount of intelligence that a lot of people who because they're being taken advantage of. Because people up top are outsourcing work to people on the bottom that is wildly dangerous and they're devaluing those people's at the bottom's labor. It's kind of like almost being a salesman and then you're, this, the people up top are instead of telling you how much you the sale was and then being like, this is your percentage. I want you to understand what's going on and how much we value you as a member of our team. Mm -hmm. They're being like, you steal this, this is your flat rate, don't ask questions, you know? Yeah. And so like, as I- Not a positive work environment. Yeah, no, no, not a positive You're work environment. You're feeling undervalued. <laughs> I'm feeling undervalued at the company, you know? And so, <laughs> so I was just like, yeah, I, I want out of here, man. And um, you people feel trapped in those situations, but I, I'm just very lucky as a kid that I read a lot in whatever. 
and I had enough self-awareness to kind of be like, I should leave. I've also, I was into lots of other things, you know. I, I'm like, a, I have a lot of broad interests and a lot of people, they derive a lot of, um, what, not, what, what do I want to say here? Meaning from the work. Are you and your brother still close? Very. Very close. Is he yeah, older yeah. or younger? He's younger. Oh, he's younger but bigger, right? He's younger but bigger. Yeah, yeah. 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 He's my younger, bigger brother. Yeah. Um, so how did you, because from what it sounds like to me is it's like, this is a really negative, dark, difficult place to, to be. Yes. And I'm seeing you now as like a happy, like, person that's, you're successful. You're doing what you want to do. You're earning well, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're, 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 you're being recognized for your craft. But it, it sounds to me like you kind of like cold turkey created a better life for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. We made the decision. We carried the decision out. The decision carried a lot of consequences even outside of the obvious, like, will we be able to be normal? The And then we also dealt with a lot of the mental, like, of... Uh, not to liken myself to a soldier because that's not at all what I want to do, but it's almost one of the only parallels you can draw because if you live a life with violence and like adrenaline and danger and then you immediately move on to something else, that's going to take a toll. So we we dealt with the, the gambit of issues, but we were so confident like, no, we can do this. And we uh, we did. And so I just kind of like moved on and then um, after I had sort of moved on, we had like gotten it together and separated our lives from that and gotten all the help we needed and, and done what we had to do and we were kind of doing it. What does that it. mean, the help you needed? So, I mean, you can't just like quit being a criminal, especially for like... But it wasn't like substance stuff because I know you have a... It, no, you're, you're no, a substance-free no. lifestyle. It's totally substance-free all the way through this. Oh, you, you've which never helps. been a... All of this was sober. For me and my brother, so that's probably another reason it was so easy for us to stay clear and be like, oh, we should leave. Got it. So um, that was good. But yeah, so we got, I mean, help like the government has like programs where they'll kind of like help protect you, help move on with your life. So you did it right. So we did it right. Yeah. Yeah, we did. The, I mean, if you're going to do something, stack the odds in your favor. If you can get help, get help where you can, you know, and so we... We did everything we could to stack the odds in our favor and left. That's impressive, man, because, you know, you think of like kind of an anti-establishment life and yeah. realizing that it's the wrong way to do it, but still consequence. But it's impressive to me that you would all of a sudden not just make the decision, but go about it the right way. You were like, hey, we should probably yeah, talk to people, let them know what the situation yeah. is and commit to it. Definitely. And um, yeah, we just had to, you know, you just kind of have to. Sometimes you just have to suck it up and do it, you know? It's not going to be fun or good or easy or you're, and you're not going to like it, but, like, end results are what you need, you know? And so we knew what the end result we wanted was, and so we just did everything in between to get that result. And so I got the result, and then at that point I was kind of like, oh, I turned it around, I did the thing, I have a regular life, and I, like, I was working... Um, for the government, actually, working for the state with disabled kids. What? <laughs> Hold on. What's the what's the time frame? What's the time span? So, um, basically an entire life of crime up to 23, 24 years old. Yeah, so when from when you got out, got help, to working for the government, that window? Literally months. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, literally months. And they helped me. But you kind of like, you kind of found a path. Like, I, I think you, it's like, it's like if, if everybody that is in a situation that you were in, like below the poverty line, you mm -hmm. don't see a way out. You kind of found a path out and it was, hey, there are resources. There are things yeah. that you probably didn't know about, right? You, you, you kind of found a way out. So are you into a life where you're like, hey, I actually like, can can afford to keep myself alive and eat and and yeah what seemed impossible actually isn't exactly yeah and I was also um, another thing to say is we went from to make this transition we had to purposefully go from lot lots to less you know I knew I was going to go from you know a lot of money under my bed to. Uh, $11 an hour mm -hmm. but you know it's not about it's not about money it's about goals and what I want for myself and the lifestyle I want to live so I've always had that in my mind that it's never about money it's always about like the lifestyle I want and like how I want to be and how I want to relate to those around me and so as soon as I was like oh what I want for myself is different the money kind of wasn't an issue so I had to go and do normal stuff but then i was doing that and then um again i was like there's no upwards mobility here and i hate school i know that about myself did you finish school did you finish high school no 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 not even close dude not even close Ooh, I, I, I genuinely went to like three maybe three or four total years of school ever in my life what's the, so i don't want to back up but i was just so fascinated with this what's the deal with your parents like how how did you never go to school like, my mom and my dad divorced when they were young and my mom married several other guys and so i had stepbrothers and the, it just like a whole big white trash family and you know that my mom was dealing she had her own struggles and she was dealing with substance abuse and things and doing her best and trying to get her life together and you just get lost in the shuffle you know, it's just like how, how, you know, they just don't, aren't paying attention to you. And then my stepdads, of course, I just didn't exist to them, you know, unless. At like what age are you saying? Like, I'm, I'm saying from like age, uh, age four to, you know, grown up. Wow. So like just no rules, just no rules at all. No, no oversight, you know. Are you, do you talk to your mom very often now? Are you guys close? We're or? very close now. We're close now. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, she's that took good? some time. And she's doing great now. Mm. You know, and she had her own personal struggles. She had to overcome. It's just separate from me and my brother. It's funny because she actually, you know, did the Herculean task of getting her life together as we did ours. And we all just kind of like met up at the same time. Like, oh, we're all doing good. And really? now, yeah. So now we're all like a group. But so that's really interesting. You need to do like a after like you get you know you're doing hopefully good with your comedy specials, but you need like a <laughs> like a true life stories. They like I hear it. I often. need like the pictures. <laughs> I need like I, I need to like the story's good for me, but I need the details of how things work. So that that's actually statistically impossible almost. Yes. That you guys meet up and everybody's doing fine. Usually yeah. the story is a lot more grim than that. You know? it, yeah, absolutely. And she and and her story is crazy. Like she went to school got herself together, got a good job, you know, got a better job because she went to school. Like she did the other side of the American dream, which is like work hard, go to school, figure out what you want to mm -hmm. do and do it. Whereas I did the like other side of the American dream, which is like hustle real hard, you're talented, show people like, and yeah. so, um, 
but yeah, I, I was like 26 and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And there was up, no upward mobility. I had no school. I didn't want to go to trade school. Um, I wasn't against it, but I, I was just kind of like, I would rather do something else. And I was kind of figuring it out. And I was just like, there's nowhere for me to go. I have no skills. Like I'm a highly skilled person, but all of those skills do not translate to real life, you know? And so I had- Did you have that like, that like, in, like insight about yourself? Were you like, I know I'm good at stuff, but I'm not seeing, that, that's exactly. the thing that kind of keeps coming up for me as I'm like deconstructing you mentally here. Like <laughs> the, the, the air of confidence you carried is insane because most people like, they get beat down by it. But the fact that you can be like, no, what's happening isn't what, who I am. Yeah. I have skills. I need to find a way that they're valued. That's really unique. Like the way you think is rare, you know? Yeah, I, um, I mean, I, yeah, I, I guess so. I would have, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I don't meet, I, I kind of do meet a lot of people who are like more type A personalities. I mean, right now, we're here together. You obviously like, so, but I think that people like that draw each other, you know, uh, to it's each other. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating because literally like, and the world we live in is crazy because people aren't hard to find. It's like, yeah, you live in New York, I live in Southern California. You almost can't get further away in the United <laughs> States. Yeah. I watched your show and it's like, Oh, cool! I should meet this guy. He should do a thing for us. And now, yeah, that was like over the span of a couple weeks. Totally. It's Your hair's wild. longer now. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm growing and it the, out. And the knife is new. The knife is new. Yeah. yeah, but um, yeah. So it's just yeah, it's wild how that works. So 26, confident but skillless, skillful, skillful, just not valued. Yeah, yeah. So are we always funny? Were you like a funny crime guy? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of where I was like, um, a lot of crime is talking just like any other business, you know? There's a lot of jobs where you can just like talk your way through it. It's much easier to, to deal with people if they like you, do you know what I mean? In any situation. I just, I was always a, a funny guy and I've always been interested in comedy. Oddly enough, when I was very young, I remember telling my dad that I, he asked me, I didn't spend a lot of time with him when I was a kid. And one of the few times I spent time with him, we were on like a road trip. And he was like, tell me what you're like at school. Cause he didn't know me. He's trying to get to know me as a kid. And I was like, I'm funny. Like if you follow the laughs, you'll find me. It's a very cringy line, but I'm in like fourth grade. So let it slide. Oh, and, actually uh, pretty good, dude. <laughs> and he was like, I don't think that's who you are. You're, you're like, and he tried to give me a pep talk or whatever. Basically, I think he was worried. I thought I was a class clown, but like. You're like, um, listen pops, I'm not really at school. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and, uh, but I remember it being kind of discouraging. I wonder if he had taught, if he had been like, you are funny, cool, and like kind of like played into it if I would have thought more about being a, an entertainer. It's amazing you remember the conversation at all. Yeah, it stuck I mean, with you're me. you're eight, right? Yeah. I also, I kind of have like an eidetic memory, so. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, I remember a lot of things. A lot of what, like, I remember. Well, and you're, you're straight edge, right? So your yeah. mind's pretty clear through all. Yeah, life, you know? we had the old tickers working. So um, yeah, I've been sober since I was a kid. So, but um, okay. So he, he yeah yeah. So uh, but anyway, I, I always thought I was funny, and so I kind of was like comedy was something I was always interested in, and I was like I could just do this. I can't be an actor, but I could probably be a comedian or something. So I looked it up, and there was a comedy club in town, and I was just like, they have an open mic. What comedy club? It's called Wise Guys. Provo or Salt Lake? Salt Lake City. Yeah. Yeah, and there's like three separate clubs, one in Ogden, Utah, one in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, and one in... Is in the Salt Lake one like in West Lake or in uh, there's one West in, Valley? There's one in like West, in, uh, it's 
farther than West Valley, and there's one downtown. Okay. But there used to be one in West Valley. That's the first one I performed at. So you just went and, like, looked into it? I just looked into it, and I, and I was looking at other comic stories, like Seinfeld and stuff, and they're like, you start at open mic, and you go to open mics, and you get good, and you start doing shows, and it's sort of organic. And, and if you're good, eventually you'll go farther and farther and farther, and someone will see you, and they'll see you're funny, and they'll be your agent. And I was just kind of like, okay, this makes sense. And then um, I was like, all right, this is my plan. This is what I'm going to do. And uh, I'm maybe the only comic I've ever met that was like, okay, this is my career. Before I even did my first open mic, and when I sat down to write my first comedy set for my very first open mic, I was like, this is my job now. Take this seriously. And like before I even did my first one, like I changed my work schedule so that I could have every Wednesday night to do comedy. I didn't have a car at the time because I was poor, and I uh, and I By didn't have a this time though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I didn't have a license. I'd never gotten a license before, so I went and got a driver's license so that I could drive to open mics if I needed to. And like I used to walk like two hours to open mic, really, and wait in line for an hour, do three minutes wow. of comedy, and then walk home. And then the next day I had to work. And I changed my whole schedule and my life around to like fit in comedy. Because for me, I was like, take comedy seriously like it's college. And so I just started and I just went for it. Every open mic I could go to, every stage I could get on, every chance I could get to be funny, every podcast I could be on, every friend I could make, every comedy person I could talk to. And I also budgeted into my new budget. I... I like I'm a person with a lot of hobbies and I like took out some of my hobbies I really enjoyed and started putting that money into going to comedy shows at night to just watch professionals do comedy. And I also kind of thought, oh, if I'm around the comedy club, the owner will see me and then it, as I develop that relationship, he'll put me on stage, which is how it works. And that paid off. And so then I like put all this money, I stopped getting tattooed so that I could put money into like that and had a whole plan. Dude, this is fascinating to me because I saw Seinfeld. You've seen Seinfeld live. Have you seen him live before? Yeah, I have. Um, I've performed with Seinfeld. Oddly really? Enough. Yeah. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah. So I saw him like it was probably only two years ago, um, and he was performing the special that's on Netflix now. Mm -hmm. It's all new stuff. Yeah. And Seinfeld, I saw a thing like he's worth like eight hundred million bucks. Like he it's... doesn't have to be doing stand-up comedy. Like yeah. he doesn't need to be writing new material. He's got like a whole like vault of amazingly like classic stuff but the interesting thing about Seinfeld and you've probably seen this but like as you go back and look at his life and his method yeah he would have been successful at anything like do you know about his like calendar thing yeah yeah so he's like for the those that are listening I've read multiple times that his simple uh, method was write every day mm -hmm. and the way that he tracked to make sure he was writing every day is he would get a red marker put an x through the day on the calendar that he had written and try not to break the streak and so he'd say he'd come back from from comedy shows or clubs sometimes. Yeah. And it was like two or three in the morning he hadn't written yet. And he's like, oh. But he didn't want to break the streak, so he'd write the thing. Simple thing. Yeah. But I had no idea. that I would say that about you. You would have been successful at anything had it not been comedy to say, hey, listen, I'm going to walk. Yeah. I'm going to sacrifice my hobbies and my, you know, art that you love and all yeah. that stuff. And I am going to treat this like a job and commit from the very beginning. Yeah. Because before I was thinking, before I met you, I'm like, wow, it's kind of wild. Like, this thing just worked out. But that's not how it went down. No, no, no. No, it was very deliberate. And Because um, you kind of seem like this nonchalant, oh, yeah, I was doing this, and then this happened. But really, it's nice to see that the same principles that would make you successful at anything yeah. 
you employed for your, you created your own path. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you just gotta, I mean, there's, there are people who, and there are people who see what I did and then they recreate it, but even if you do all the things you're supposed to, it might not work. I do see lots of people who do nine open mics a week and hustle and write every day and they don't get anywhere. So why not? What's the difference there? What's so going the on? The difference there is the intent, right? Because you could go, you know what's something interesting? I started doing CrossFit, which is something I love. And um, a lot of people who do CrossFit will start, I've, I'd seen people come into the gym at the same time and, and you're doing the exact same workouts, mm -hmm. exact same movements, and they're like friends or whatever. And one would get significantly stronger than the other in the same amount of time. And I know that they're eating similarly. I know that they're doing all the same work. I'm watching them do the work and neither is sandbagging. And I would be like, what is happening that one guy is doing more than the other? And it would come down to intensity in, in, like, in a sort of a desire to improve that is not as lackadaisical as the other person. So you may be like, a type A person who works hard and you put in all the hours, but you're not getting the same thing I'm getting because everything I do is with intent. So like someone who goes to nine open mics a week might be going to those open mics and they're like, yes, I'm getting the stage time, but they're just going through the motions on stage. They're just sort of in a groove. So they're working hard in a groove, but I'm never in the groove. I'm always, what am I working on today? Am I gonna write this new joke? Am I gonna try a new joke? Am I gonna make myself uncomfortable? Am I gonna try and work on this intonation? Am I gonna do this? Am I paying attention to what's going on in the room? Am I gonna, you know, or for instance, when I'm working out, it's like, am I gonna lift as hard as I can today? Am I going to pull the bar back one inch so I can feel it, the extra strain on my biceps, or am I just gonna coast? You know, and I rarely coast. I'm like, if I'm gonna do it, I'm just gonna do it. Yeah, I was gonna ask you that before um, we sat down is even in your hobbies and stuff like that, obviously, you seem like the type of yeah. person that commits. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you go all in. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we always talk about is, is kind of everything is like everything. Like you did comedy at that level, well, that's just like CrossFit, and that's just yeah. like any other thing that you've applied yourself to. But is that something that is learned or is that something that's kind of like intrinsic? Is that something that's just there? I don't know. I, I will say that when I was young, I wasn't good at anything. So when I was really young, like I played sports, but I was, oh, I was never like the good sport. Like I was, I was always kind of watching everyone be good, be like, what is wrong with me? And then I would do, I would do all these other hobbies and everyone would always be better than me. And I was always kind of playing second fiddle to people and I was just like, what is going on? And then I kind of stopped caring. And I got this weird sort of like, as I became more interested in, in things like alternative culture and punk rock and stuff, I sort of began to like, who cares if they're, but I don't care what they're doing. I throw the ball like this. I'm not worried, yeah, he's stronger than me. I'm not gonna think about that. And I kind of got this like, not, almost sort of antisocial, and maybe it's kind of negative to take as far as I did, but like, screw them. 
Like, yeah, they're better than me, but like, I don't care. I, they're dumb. But that's youth, right? Like, that's yeah, a lot yeah, of times, for sure. Like, because I was the same thing. I was very into punk rock as a kid. I still love it. But yeah. it's like, it's one of those things where you're so influenced by what you're perceiving as the message. Yeah. But it's funny because now a lot of those guys, like, you know, I look at like like a Toby Morse or something like that, right? From H2O. Same. Yeah. But his message is one of positivity. And it's like, man, I was reading that wrong as a kid. Totally. But you're full of angst and stuff anyway. But I think I think you're just searching as a kid until you can understand it. But the value, I think, is being willing to change your mind and evolve it. Cause, totally. Because you don't speak or have the perceived attitude as like a hardcore punk rock person now, but it's because you're an evolving human. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And so at the time, I was kind of like, screw them. And I was half right, right? Because you shouldn't, you should see what they're doing and, 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 be, and, and take note of it and give them credit where credit's due. And maybe even have a little tiny bit of like, screw them. Because I'm me and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. But it's not about negativity. It's about focusing on you and doing what you do the best that you can. So like, for instance, when I was trying to figure out what to do with my life, everyone was like, go to school. But I knew I don't like school. I'm not good at school. And instead of forcing the round peg into the square or hole, I was like, I'm going to do it this way. And so that punk rock attitude sure. ended up serving me in cer- a certain way. But um, punk rock and entrepreneurialism are close, honestly. Like, if you yeah. think about it, like those guys started bands before they could play their instruments. There's a certain level of confidence and willingness to be embarrassed and put yourself out there that a lot of times that the people that follow a more conservative route, they just never see it totally. because they're not willing to do it. And, you know, a lot of stuff what you're, what you're talking about kind of speaks to my heart because the guys here do a direct sales job. Right, like so they knock, gnarly. They knock doors, but they they deal with more rejection in a week than most people. Not just deal with, but put them in a position to deal with. Most yeah. people would never position themselves to receive the kind of feedback that you openly seek. Oh, was that yeah. funny? Was it good? I put my heart into it. It sucked. Okay, what can I do? To, yeah. Most people never like do that, and so I love like with stand up comedy too. Tell me if this hits, but if you if your band plays bad. Yes. It could be the venue, it could be the sound guy, it could be the bassist, it could be the guitarist. If you bomb, yeah. Well, it's not the sound, it's just you. Often, yes. There and the difference between someone who's great at their craft and someone who's not is being able to clearly see when you are at fault. Or not even at fault, but when you could have overcome but didn't. So give me an example of that. Like do you I mean, I'm sure you've bombed, right? Oh yeah. Be- yeah, I mean, comedy is years of rejection followed by proficiency you know you 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 have to practice it's it's the equivalent of learning how to play guitar but imagine if you could only practice guitar during a show yeah so like yeah you know you can think about it but you can't actually do it that's what comedy is because you can't practice unless you're doing it and you can't do it unless you start that's like surfing Yes. You can't prepare. You have to be behind a whip, right? Yeah, exactly. And just like surfing, you think, oh, it's water. I'll be fine. It's not going to hurt. And you slam and you're like, that was wild. (laughs) Like that hurts so much more, you know? And um, that's comedy. Uh, A lot of it is, is bombing. But there's, for example, like I'll do a show and the crowd, like there are shows where the crowd is really rowdy. 
And like absolutely you can have a show where it's the crowd's fault. It's just the weird venue or whatever, but rarely. So rarely. So well, like you have to deal with it because exactly. you're still playing, right? Exactly. So like the crowd is bad and someone will bomb before me and I'll go up and wrangle them together and have a good set or at least a, a, an okay set and the person before me will be like clearly annoyed or whatever. And it's like, well, but you didn't, you did your job as normal. I did my job taking into consideration the factors, you know, and that's, so. Dude, that's incredible. Because think about it, like a lot of times when our guys go out and they work or any, any, anything, any sales pitch or any kind of like endeavor that you, that you embark on, it's really easy to say, had that not been the case, I would have. But that's yes. not life. Like, have you ever read any of Stephen Pressfield's stuff? Yeah, I love him. Gates of Fire is my favorite book of all time. Have you read The War of Art? Yes. It's great. So yeah. he talks in there about the resistance, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like any time you set out to do anything um, positive, yeah. immediately you're going to get resistance. Think about working out, right? Okay, I'm going to get strong. Well, you have to face resistance in order to, to get stronger. Mm -hmm. But... It's weird because sometimes people are like, oh, there was resistance, so I wasn't successful, instead of like planning for resistance. Like, do you go as far as in your, I don't know anything about your craft, so do you, do you go as far as like planning, what if the crowd is weird? Do I have a certain like set of like tools that I can use if the crowd is weird? Or do you, do you just have a bad experience, learn, next time I'm going to try this, try it, log it, that worked, I'm going to keep doing that. Or is it not like that? It's usually not as conscious mm -hmm. it's kind of it's hard to explain it's almost like learning uh because you're the relationship between you and the audience is almost like a romantic relationship go on so like <laughs> as you as if you have a partner as you learn to deal with them like when they're sad or angry mm -hmm. you kind of learn like what to say how to approach them Good. how not to anger them more and how to and so but that's not a conscious thing, right? Like when your partner yeah. is clearly having negative body language and, and you, you almost instinctually remember your, when you went, what's wrong with you? And then that was the wrong thing to say. You just poked the dam. Exactly, right? exactly. And now you kind of know to say, to like lead with kindness in the situation or, or you know, whatever, that's comedy. So as like an audience is rowdy, I might not consciously be like, all right, we're going to do say thing A and then thing B will probably happen and now thing C. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like I can read the room and be like, all right, these are just like middle-aged drunk people who are having a good time. If I lash out at them, it's going to annoy them because they're just here to have fun. So like, and I just automatically know without consciously thinking like to just say that they're being bad. To be like, do you guys want to watch a show? Or like, what's going on here? Y'all are wild. You're, you're and an then empathetic dude. Yeah, and then you acknowledge them. And now they're kind of like, we are being wild, aren't we? And, <laughs> and like, I can yeah. kind of like wrangle them back together. Um, but don't you think then, like, like I'm seeing as like your, your skill set is empathy a little bit. Empathy is what got you to change your life. Empathy is what, it's like you first try to understand these people and, and like pride or ego yeah. would say, these guys are, are being rowdy. Yeah. I'm going to handle it. You're more like I think I think that successful people are genuinely empathetic to some degree, right? Like not mm -hmm. enabling, but you have to be able to put yourself in their shoes and then become the person that they need in that moment. Same with the relationship thing. Self-awareness is just so key to just be able to see how you are fitting into the situation in such a way that you understand all parties and yourself. 
How long did it take from uh, um, struggling to being like, wow, I'm kind of in the flow, like this thing is starting to work? Um, do you mean in like, in life or just in comedy? Comedy, like your career. Like you set out with intention to do your career. How long were you walking three hours before someone was like, oh, hey, yeah, why don't you Almost come do immediately. Really? Yeah. I, I'm very lucky in that I, I like figured out my style early. Mm-hmm. And well, you're also 26, 27 when you started? 27, yeah. So that's or probably somewhat. I started when I was like 28, too. yeah. I was reading, have you read um, Tom Morello's or listened to Tom Morello's new book? No. Um, he did a new audio book, but it's like a live. Th- my friend um, Vern that works with me sent it to me. But he did this like, it was like a, it's an audio book, but it was like a live like show he did at a theater. So yeah. he like plays guitar throughout it and stuff. But he started Rage Against the Machine when he was 26. Yeah. And he and he'd gone to Stanford and learned how to play the guitar then. So it was kind of like a similar thing. It's like, I almost wonder if in some ways it's a weird advantage because you know yourself so well to start at 26, 27 with intention when you really don't have anything to lose. Totally. And that's right? kind of what it was for me. It was like, what am I going to, this is it. Sink or swim. I'm on the treadmill. Succeed or die. Yeah. And that, that was my attitude, honestly. And um, yeah, I just went for it. I think one of the funniest things that you talk about is the idea of playing corporate gigs. Like, <laughs> you came here to do a corporate gig. Yes. It's funny that, well, just maybe talk about just that dichotomy because it's actually funny that, you know, nobody would give you a job until now you are paid to come for an hour and yeah, it's a job. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, corporate gigs are kind of like, some, some comics hate them and often they're really bad. The weird thing about corporate gigs is that I would say three out of five are terrible because usually what happens is someone is in charge of entertainment or whatever and the way the company works is that the, that person's very compartmentalized and they just like me. And so they <laughs> but hire But the rest me. of the people. Yes, they have no <laughs> idea. No... So the company... Dude, like... that's me in this situation, dude. <laughs> it's I'm so like, fun. hey, I got this guy. Everyone's going to love him. So... Sometimes that can work really well, but a lot of the times you're hired for like environments that are totally weird. Dude, that's funny. So the last corporate I did was really good because I was hired by this like construction company and like everyone was like our age and like wanted to have a good time and people were like really lax and the, you know what it is? It usually is when uh, the company's developed a very good uh I don't know. I don't know, like what you guys would call it, but like a corporate, uh, like, like a relationship, culture? like a culture. Yeah, yeah, the company's culture. So good company culture breeds a place where doing comedy is normal because these are all people being themselves, enjoying themselves in a safe place. And, exactly yeah. because they are, you know, they are themselves at work, and they don't have to do. They're not performing. I can't com- perform if you're performing. Mm-hmm. So bad company culture, which is most companies, is such an interesting so view. brutal to perform for because you can literally feel people looking around to see if it's okay if they laugh. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they're, how they react is being perceived and they, what it comes down to is people feel like they're being watched. And when people feel like they're being watched, they do not behave as normal. And you cannot enjoy something like comedy that's so almost carnal if you are not behaving as normal because comedy is just, is very like 
it, it hits you and you laugh and it's very free and sort of cathartic and almost therapeutic and it's just like animalistic. And if you're busy, what's Kyle doing? Where's my boss? Is my wife not embarrassing me? Okay, like, you know, yeah. it's, if you're doing that, doesn't work. And I've seen incredible comedians bomb. One of the, a corporate gig I went to, and I won't say who I went with, he's very famous, and I opened for him, and I like did barely okay, and I watched him bomb. I mean, man. I'm is it talking, like palpable? Is it like is it like hit you in the chest how awkward it is when someone's up there? It's just so trying? brutal because people don't help you, right? Like I explain it. A good way to explain it would be like imagine, Matt, you're married. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, dude, I'm getting it done. <laughs> I love it. I have five kids, dude. I got. Whoa! Yeah, dude. Yeah, you're so young. Committed, 100 percent. I love right? it, dude. I'm the same way. I can't wait to get married and just go all in. But. Um, which is a weird thing for someone like me to say, but I truly mean it. You're uh, like, I just want to have a nice family. I do. <laughs> I don't know if I want kids, but I definitely want a wife, and I want all in on that. I'm going to be so married. But um, <laughs> um, I'm not, I'm not uh, yeah. But so imagine your wife, who you love probably as much as anyone you've ever met, and she steps up in front of everyone you know, and she's going to tell a joke, and you're like, and you and, and she tells the joke and it falls flat in front of all these people you respect like that is more devastating than you telling it right oh yeah so dude. that is what it feels like as a comic to bomb because it's your job you've gotten this response before you know that it's good you're saying it and it's not it's like it's so brutally devastating to bomb especially as a pro and it does happen i've watched dave chappelle bomb but like that was him for like an hour so brutal, and, and it was you almost just, can't you can't save them, but you can't look away. Right? So like, there's a certain point where, as a comic, you bomb one joke, and that happens all the time, and you just kind of go, and and you're so trained that you just, and you suck it up like you got punched, and you just keep going, and you get the next laugh, and you go, okay, and you off. shake it off, yeah, you yeah, shake off. it off. It's like taking a bad hit in football. You just shake it off. All right, the next play is here. He's not going to get me. I'm all right, but um. When you start to bomb that hard for that long, you sort of just realize like, oh, I'm in it. And it's so brutal that it becomes funny. And so now as a comic, you you kind of, you don't surrender to the bomb, but you surrender to the feeling. And you're sort of just like, all right, I'm in it. Like, let's bomb for 40 more minutes. <laughs> how, how, many, how many comedians or people that want to go on the same path don't survive that? Because the way that you're, the way that you're thinking is unique. Like some people, I'll give you an example. Um, I always tell the guys to be, don't beware, but be aware of the fact that if you if you get a negative reaction from somebody on a door or in a sales environment, there's actual negative energy hitting you. It's not just this made up thing. You yeah. get stuff from people, right? And so if you get a real, I always say you get one a month, just somebody that it was just the wrong time. It could be you, me, yeah. they just got terrible news and you showed up being like, hi. and and. When they fire at you, yeah, you're affected, 100. Yeah. And that feeling of going to the next door and being like, "This is what I do. I've done it a thousand times. I usually have success. That happens sometimes. Get in, have success, and move forward." But some people, they can't get out of the the tailspin. They can't yep. get out of the flat spin. So, do you do two questions? Do you do anything for your brain to help you mentally process that? Or, and number two, do you see people that can't survive that? Do you see people all the time? Yes, to both. 
the first thing is when it happens and you you either bomb a joke or whatever, you kind of just have to, I think that being hyper aware instead of making zero excuses, if you try to rationalize it or think about it or dwell on it in any way, it's going to brutalize the next task, which is usually the next joke. And I mean, it's a, an act, so you're still talking. You're still by yourself up there. You just literally have to, oh, I bombed. That was me, and just keep going. I, I just take full responsibility. I laugh to myself, and I just keep going. Because if I do anything else but take responsibility, no matter whose fault it was, because you can bomb a joke because someone yells out, because mm-hmm. someone ruins it or whatever, but if I dwell on it, that serves me no purpose and I just have to, I have another task to complete, it's on to the next thing. So basically you just have to, that happened, moving on. Like, and that's kind of how it is. And so there are pros I know that don't bomb well. They don't bomb often because they're pros, but when they do bomb, it's devastating. That's well said, yeah. You gotta learn how to bomb well. And it will ruin their whole act, or ruin a large piece of it, or turn the audience and stuff. I'm not one of those people. I know people like that, and as com- there are lots of comics who aren't like that that try to reach out to them like, bro, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Don't yell like that. Like, why are you attacking this Italian man <laughs> you know, yeah. or whatever? And you're making it worse, but some people just set in their ways. Um, and then uh, the vast majority of comics who even make it past the first part of comedy where you fail and begin to become proficient they get their first big thing and their first big failure and then they're gone. Most comics never make it past that point. But does everybody have to go through it? Everybody does. Yeah. And here's the thing, the 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 reason that comics become proficient and then fail at that point is because they think they've broken through a wall where they're they've lived through so much devastation that the devastation is over (coughs) and the realization that no matter how far you get into your career, devastation and negativity will always be a part of your craft is like mentally too much, I think. And they're just, they're out. Because the reality is after you become a professional comic, you're not done bombing. You're not done being in horrible, infantilizing, humiliating situations. You're not done losing money or being embarrassed. You're not done being scared. You're not done being nervous. All of those things that are front-loaded in the beginning of the career that you overcome to get to this point are peppered throughout. So like the realization that like, I made it, and then you have the worst devastation is yet to come. And you realize that, and then you're like, well, is there an even worse one on the horizon? Comics often don't make it past that, which is why most people who do, com- I mean, there are less professional comics than Navy SEALs. Like, So in some ways, who's really tougher? So uh, you know? <laughs> who's, who's really serving out here? <laughs> who do they boys? call to come lift the hearts of it? No. <laughs> But um, like, so... That was fun. That was a good bit we did. That was good. Yeah, you should yeah, do yeah. that sometime. <laughs> Don't do it to the Navy SEALs, no, but maybe. No, they will kill me. <laughs> no, oh man. If I could if I could have been that instead of this, that would have been cool. <laughs> Those guys are tight, but... But would you probably would have been the funny Navy SEAL. I would hope so. Yeah. Do you know most... Because uh, I've done a lot of military gigs. Mm-hmm. Most high-tier 
tier one type guys who are like the military earners, mm-hmm. you know, fighter pilots, uh, special forces guys, rangers, engineers. They're hilarious. But do you think they kind of drop the act a little at that at that level? Like they're kind of like more free to be themselves a little bit? I think so. Yeah. And they're all, I think that the type of people who are able to thrive in these environments are usually very uh, funny about um, adversity. Like the Royal Marines, one of their main mottos, I think it might be even their first thing in their creed, is humor in the face of adversity. Really? I've never yeah. heard that. Yeah. And I love that. That like really sticks with me. Um, that sounds ro- like something you should have tattooed somewhere. I know, right? Uh, or I, like I, be the name of a special. That's great. <laughs> I also like the SAS Who Dares Wins, but um, yeah, humor in the face of adversity. Um, there's like a, an old uh, Viking saying that's the same exact thing. Hmm. They used to talk about like humor in the face of war. Um, the Romans used to talk about it. The Spartans talked about it. Like military cultures over time, like humor in the face of adversity. It's a big theme. And so uh, I like that. Well, sometimes there's no other way to properly deal with like like what you were saying before. Like the, the reality is so heavy. Yes. And you have to cope and process somehow. That, But that's that's... It's interesting that you're able to do that um, with your job because you kind of have to. Like, if you don't, if you don't have humor in the face of adversity, yeah, you potentially die, or you 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 don't realize your full potential. Like, there's nothing funny about bombing except for that's probably deeply funny if you can get there. Yeah, yeah. Right? There's also um, I'm I, I've become so in tune with what is funny to me and and uh, I'm so interested in what's funny with everything now that it's like my life's work and what I want to be my life forever moving forward that something really bad can be happening to me and I will literally in the moment be aware this will be funny later. Really? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's like a superpower. Yeah, it's it can be fun. It can also be very frustrating, like dating someone and that they, they, they <laughs> become like aware that you're it's funny, and they're like, no, you know. <laughs> you're like, no, no. This is when you're my ex. This is going to be hilarious to tell. <laughs> More accurate than you know. Uh, yeah, they get mad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they don't like that. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've gotten to the point where things immediately become funny to me, where something can get so bad that I will. I'll literally begin thinking it's funny, you know, so. Yeah, I remember, uh, I remember a buddy of mine who, um, he, he was experiencing a lot of like, he, a lot of loss in like the real estate um, when, when that downturn happened. And I, it's weird that I've remembered this. It's like, it's like the, you know, the phrase or the, the conversation with your dad when you were young. It's like, I don't know why I remember this, but he was, a big real estate investor was losing everything. Yeah. And he was like laughing and he was holding his his arm. He's like, dude, he's like, I am so poor, my arm hurts. Like I'm having, <laughs> I'm having so many financial problems that literally my body has stopped. And he was laughing and I was like, and he's back. He's back up. He's great. You yeah. know what I mean? But it's like, if you get into your head and turn it into a dark place, that's not what you're supposed to learn. That's not what like the universe has in store for people, right? Totally. Like, you're supposed to get through it. Absolutely. And I, man, I, I wonder how many how many people don't use that potential tool of, hey, there's got to be humor in here somewhere. I, uh, 
this is a very specific story. I've actually never told it. So fun exclusive. Uh, fun I, exclusive. It might get edited out. Let's might go. get edited out. So let's go. <laughs> I I was married once. It was a mistake. I shouldn't have gotten married, but I was. And I was married to this woman, and I did care about her a lot. We shouldn't have been married though. Was it a short time? You were. Yeah, we were only married for like a year and separated for a year, and then divorced. But before we got separated, um, we were arguing. And I had made it to the last rounds of like auditions to write for SNL. This is wow. before my career took off. So this is the crowning achievement of my life. This is the biggest thing that's ever happened to me, ever, by a huge margin. Um, they want one more sketch from me. And I'm like, I've got to write a commercial parody for them. And um, in the process of getting divorced, but I, as I'm trying to figure out what to write, my ex-wife at the time begins to argue with me and refuses not to have a conversation that night. I have a deadline. I've got oh, literally brutal. like five hours to write this and I'm also trying to like, do I wanna save my marriage? Horrible situation. We end up having this big, huge argument and discussion about our lives and our marriage and we're basically deciding to get divorced and I'm like, crying and she's crying and like our it's dog probably is, late at night now and you're yep, like tired it's and... very late i'm exhausted um and i'm like crying like the hardest i've ever i feel terrible i mean it's miserable we finish the argument um i'm gonna i'm sleeping alone that night i'm so alone and miserable and tired i have no one to talk to about this it's late oh that's right i have to write a sketch for snl and I have an hour to do it. So I sit down to write the sketch, just like weeping. I'm trying to write a commercial parody. <laughs> and I'm like, what do I do? What's funny? What's a commercial I can make fun of? As I'm like, you ever cry so hard that like hurts your yeah. eye? And I'm literally like. Like a couple times in your life ever. Yeah, and my know? face is like hurting. I'm like literally snot. I'm like trying to, and I was like laughing. I'm at the computer laughing. Just I falling howl. apart. I'm, sur- I'm just like. Dude, this is so brutal. Like, this is the worst possible thing. I can't believe how bad this is. And I wrote the worst sketch I've ever written. I send it in and they hate it and I lose I lose out. I don't I get the job. I was so primed for a victory <laughs> no, right now. No Dude, victory. You just dropped me. Yep. And so the sketch was, it was so bad. I couldn't figure out what to write. I had no time. And I wrote a commercial that was Cialis for dogs. <laughs> And it was just a Cialis commercial, but instead of the people in the bathtub as two dogs, and and the commercial kept saying, it's only weird if you make it weird. And then at the end of the commercial, it was like, Cialis for dogs, do not take this if you're a person, no, seriously, you will die. And that yeah, was, was like gonna, the commercial. I was wondering if you had the long thing yes, at the end. Yes, that was like the commercial, and it was so bad. And it's funny to say it now in this context, but like, that's the one that's an hell so what? Cialis for dogs but like at the time it it was just like what I had you know and so now that's very funny though and I remember sending it in and just laughing about how silly it was I literally before like I'm blowing the biggest opportunity that's great yeah before I before I even got rejected I remember the next day I told my downstairs neighbor who's also a comic about it and we were laughing at how bad it was. And he was like, I'm so sorry, dude. And I was like, oh, it's so bad, it was so bad. <laughs> he was like, let me read it. And I was like, never, I'm gonna burn it. Dude, the crazy thing though also is back to Steven Pressfield, you still shipped it. 
Yeah. Like you had every excuse to not write a, a commercial parody for SNL yeah. that night. Out of time, out of emotion, but you still shipped it. Like, dude, that's a lot of what it is, is just positioning yourself enough times even when you don't feel like it. Yep. Perfection is the enemy of progress. I like that. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, I say that to myself basically every day. Because I am a person who wants everything to be perfect. And it affected my life for a long time. I think when I was young and telling you I like, did sports, that was the problem. So I always wanted to be perfect instead of doing things, just doing things, doing things the way I could. I wouldn't practice uh, because it wasn't perfect. You know, I wasn't in the perfect situation where uh, instead of being like, well, I don't have weights. I don't have the right weight scheme, so I shouldn't lift today. It's like, no, just do push-ups then. So, um, and even today, I mean, every time I send a tweet, every time I make a video, every time I write a bit, it's not perfect. And I just, I get it as close as I can, and then I go, no excuses, and I push the button even though I'm like, ugh. Everything I send, I'm, I'm really? kind of forcing myself to do. And um, I often, very rarely do I feel like something's perfect, and if I do, I honestly try to stop and analyze it until I realize it's not. Because if, it's, if you think it's perfect, you're not making it better. It very rarely is anything perfect. Sure. So, yeah, have I there just ever, send it. Has there ever been a time where, um, and this is before we wrap up here, but has there ever, you have a really positive outlook and it's probably easy to talk about it now because you're having success. You have two comedy yes. specials out. You have people reaching out to you. Your, your, your following is getting bigger. People are recognizing your like authentic skill. Like it's a pretty good place to be judging from the outside. Yeah, I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing very well uh, in, yeah, in my situation, definitely. Yeah. So was there ever a time when you thought of quitting? Is there ever a time? Because your, your, your rise was pretty fast from what it sounds like, like yes. once you committed. So was there ever a time where it's easy to think about, yeah, laughing in the face of adversity now as we're sitting in a comfortable chair. Mm -hmm. But was there ever a time where you're like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be doing this? Or maybe there's a million little micro times. But does that, does that ever come through your brain? Um, n no, not as much. I, I've had moments where I was like, I could do something else. I had a moment where I had made the most money I've ever made in comedy, which is actually not a lot, or made the most money in comedy I'd ever made legally. And I was like, oh wow, I could, I grew up in a very small town where like property's nothing. And Holden, I was like, I did could. Did you grow up in Holden? It, it, near Holden, in Flowell. I've never heard of Flowell. So I've I grew up in a tiny, a yeah, yeah. it's so small, dude, no laws. And so I was like, I could just buy five acres for like, I'm not kidding, like $25,000. And I could just, I could like retire. And I could like make money doing, you know, do, do a little bit of money doing kind of what I do now and touring here and there. And like, I could save up enough that I could live like a nice life by myself. I've thought about that instead of like trying to like push myself further into my cool. career. Yeah. But I mean, I think everyone kind of thinks about that. I think they do. So, I definitely haven't, not a lot of doubts. I've doubted like, I'm not wanting to quit, but I've felt hopeless. You know, like, um, there was a time when, when I did get divorced, before I had my first special, where I sold everything I owned. I was living in my brother's spare bedroom. Um, I, I had sold all my hobby stuff, everything I cared about, I had no money. And I lived, for 2017, I lived off of, 
for a whole year. Wow. So it was brutal. I lost it. I was like really big from like weightlifting, which was a huge goal of mine. I'd always wanted to be like a bigger guy. I lost all that weight. I lost dude, I lost my marriage. I, I, uh, my wife at the time, my ex-wife worked at the comedy club and I was a door guy there in, to supplement my income. And I lost that job because it, they were like, we can't have you here with her. Making it weird. Yeah. And yeah. so, and then I had to perform in front of her which is absolutely, I mean, we're talking literally crying in backstage and then being like, get it together, and then walking out and doing comedy. Like, so. The but you showed up. That's the thing is how, like, I can't tell you how many people wouldn't have, you yeah. know? Yeah, it's really, so, and, and I got to perform less because of that situation, and that year was, you know, just, I was just like, no one's going to see me. I live in Utah. I've got to move, but I have no money to move. And I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. And I have this hour of comedy. And and during that horrible time was when my manager was like, hey, there's this company called Dry Bar. And they're doing comedy specials that are clean. And like, I know you write an incredible amount. And I don't you I don't do only clean comedy, but I do I do both. Um, and so he was like, if you write a clean 45 minutes, they'll buy it from you. And at the time, it was like almost no money, but they're like, but you can make residuals if it does well. And I was just like, I just need this money to pay my rent. And so I dedicated six months to writing that Prison for Wizards really? album. Yeah, and then I Dude, it's crazy because seeing you it. perform it though, you don't like, you're, you're a professional because it, it looks like you don't have a care in the world and that, and that it's light and fun. And if this works, cool. If not, whatever. But from what you're describing, it had to work and inside you're yeah that the, in a you're, yeah, desperate place yeah you're you're literally watching me decide the fate of my entire life if if that it, when you're seeing me on stage during that album if i mess up if it's not funny if people don't like it i kind of don't get to be a comedian anymore you know i have to get like a regular job point. And so even though it looks like I'm like having fun, I am having fun because that's the job and I need to get into job mode. But like that night I performed two sets and they mashed, you know, they cut the best of those two sets uh -huh. into that special. If I mess that up, if people don't respond to that later, like I have to go get a job making $11 an hour and like figure out a whole new life for myself. And it's some of your, like, I don't know your stuff inside and out, but it's some of your best stuff. It's, it's, that stuff is great. Like, yeah. did you want to know one of my favorite lines from that piece is just the part where it's like, cause I lived in Utah for like 10 years. Yeah. My wife is from there. And, uh, when you were saying like, I see you guys, you're not all on board when they're talking yeah. about yeah. you. But the timing is good and you can tell that it was prepared and written and stuff like that. Like I like to look at people's like art, mastery, whatever, and look for, you can tell that the, the, the wording is deliberate in the choices. So six months, you said yeah. it took you to write I, and, that. But I did, I mean, six months, it, if you told, well, I tell other comics that and they're like, get out of here. But I mean, I did an incredible, every room I could get in, every chance I could get to work on those stories, every person I could tell, every, like I did, everything I could in that time to make that as good as I could make it. And you're proud of it? Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It's like my, I'm annoyed at some stuff on it. Like I can't watch it. I'm sure. I'm like, yeah. oh, 
Um, I'm much more proud of the second one because I feel like for me personally, it's more watchable. But um, I, I didn't get that at all. But the second one's great. I'm glad. Yeah. I and so my newest stuff, I'm like really excited about. And are you guys? Are you doing more specials or are you? Yeah. What, what's I, next now? I hope. Uh, this year, of course, got derailed, so I haven't worked on the new hour like at all. But next year, hopefully, I'm going to record the new hour and be shopping it around to like major outlets Great. and stuff. So we'll see how that goes. But well, and you have your own podcast. So um, as we close out, tell people where they can find you, where they can access all this. Yeah, stuff. yeah. My uh, my other podcast is called Cowboy Boys. It's um, real goofy. And not safe for work, just to be clear okay. for everyone. Um, yeah, we're, it's just me and my friend uh, who I told you about that lived downstairs for me that we were laughing oh, about. That's the one. Him and I live in New York City now, and we're big boys, and we do comedy in, in New York and rub elbows with the likes of Jerry Seinfeld. And what a wild world we live in. That is the craziest world. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm on social media as Shadozer, S-H-A-Y-D-O-Z-E-R, because I can't own Shane Smith. Because a billionaire who owns Vice Magazine is Shane Smith. With a Y, though? No, but he owns but he a bunch owns, of the websites. He can't own all of Shane. He, he can't does, own though. No, that's not right. <laughs> I know! You can't have all of Shane. <laughs> he doesn't have ShaneSmithComedy.com. And he doesn't have Shane Dozer. <laughs> he doesn't have Shane Dozer. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you can find me online. And, uh, you know, my specials are out there on Spotify and everything else. Check them out. Nice, dude. Well, thank you for hanging out with me. I didn't know how this was going to go, but I'm, uh, I knew it was going to go well. You're an easy person to talk to, but your, your content is good. Your career is impressive. I, I, I hope great things for you as you continue to apply this. Thank thing. you so much. I appreciate that. Of course. And thank you guys for joining us. This has been another episode of Electric People. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, check us out at viventsolar.com forward slash careers. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a great review and leave us a five-star rating. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.